0: So I left one verse in chapter six, and that's kind of what we're gonna launch on. So Matthew chapter six, verse 34. Therefore, two chapters, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That is such a brilliant verse. How much of your anxiety is about the future? All of it. Because the other things we have, shame, regret, remorse, those are looking back, anxiety is about the future. It's always about the future, right? And what does anxiety do to us? When we get anxious, how does it change us? I say it makes us into children. What are children known for? Right, they're cute and they're funny and they're great and they're dramatic, right? So if you have siblings or you have kids with siblings, if the little sibling gets teased, what happens? If the older sibling pokes the younger sibling or takes the younger sibling's seat, their seat, or plays with their football, right? What does the younger sibling do? Do they go, hmm, let me think about this. You know, I have on occasion teased my older sibling like he's done to me right now. And you know what? It didn't go well when I responded incorrectly. So maybe I'll just absorb this one. Do kids do that? No, what do they do? Ah, I hate you, right? And they freak out. They get dramatic. And then the crazy thing is, your kid can be completely just off the deep end, and you can look at them and be like, hey, would you like some ice cream? Yes, I would. <laughs> right? Just whiplash. <laughs> okay, that's what anxiety does to us. It just, we're just, it trashes us. So we've talked about anxiety for two Well, since I've been here, two consecutive, but there was a couple in between. And this is our third and final one. And this is why, because I started talking with people in the weeks that I had off. And there are people that say, that's my struggle. I have anxiety. Do you have practical tools? I say, yeah. Where? Where do I find these practical tools? I say, the Bible, read it. It's a bestseller. It's amazing, right? So that's what we're gonna do today. We're just gonna look at, I call it anxiety's enemies. And even if you don't have anxiety, these are the ways that as Christians, we're actually supposed to think that this is the way that we are discipling ourselves and stewarding our minds to think these ways because it just leads to good mental health. That's what it does, all right? So I just call it the big seven. I had more, I actually had to pare it down to to fit it into one sermon. So number one, Number one, good mental health. Number one, anxiety and anxiety's enemy is number one. Win today. And it's back to just verse thirty-four, where Jesus says, "Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Let me explain it another way with a quote by Michael Montaigne. Listen to what he says. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. How good is that, right? Isn't it all of us? Because those people that study anxiety and worry and stress and all that kind of stuff, they say this, only 8% of what we get anxious about actually ever happens. The other 92% is imagined, will never happen or is outside of our control. That's exactly what he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. You get all racked up and freaked out. Why? Anyone here anxious about the economy? Can you do anything about that? Like the global economy? <laughs> no, right? Anyone here anxious at all about the holidays? Who's coming over? What's gonna happen? Food, preparation, buying presents for people? Anyone here anxious at all? about their kids and what the world has for their kids. Anyone here anxious at all about the spouses that your kids will marry that you'll have to spend the holidays with? Oh, I don't wanna spend holidays with him, right? Anybody, right? Anyone anxious about our country and the direction our country is going, right? Anyone anxious about World War III being started tomorrow? At the end of the day, can we do anything about that? No. And here's what Jesus is saying. He has a power for us. And I could have gone to a lot of scriptures, but listen to how he says it to his disciples that were gonna face unprecedented things to be worried about. Getting their heads chopped off, that kind of worry. Listen to what Jesus says to them. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 11. When, not if when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the worst thing imaginable that was going to happen to Jesus' disciples. And Jesus says, don't worry. My spirit will be there for you in that moment. Don't get all thoughtful. Don't get all Don't do that. Don't worry. Here's a big problem. Solomon put it like this. It's Proverbs 23, verse seven. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know what we call that today? There's a term for it that science has, cognitive fusion. Here's what cognitive fusion is. It's where you begin to believe your thoughts are real. Because you're thinking it so much, then your thoughts are just rolling over your head so often, you forget that you're just imagining it right now. That 92% of it will not come true. But because you're thinking about it so often and meditating on it so often, you fuse it with reality, and then your thoughts become your reality as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. We forget only 8% of it's gonna come true. 90, 92% is gonna happen. Here's what we're supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to be those that, that the, hold on to the tail of the tiger and get whipped around. We're supposed to control it. Wait a second is what I'm thinking about true? Because if it's false, just flush it. If it is true, what's the worst thing that could happen? Is the worst thing that could happen, is that bigger than King Jesus? And is he able to take even bad things and work them for his good? Yes. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. That's what we're supposed to do. Win today. I'm not gonna get, 92% of that's not coming true. So why would I waste 92% of my effort on that? I'm not. I'm not doing anything more. I'm taking these thoughts captive. I'm gonna win just what God has for me right now in front of me, and that's what I'm gonna think about. And tomorrow will take care of itself. And even if bad things happen, God's spirit will empower me in that moment to handle it. Win today, number one. Number two, crush perfectionism. People that are perfectionists struggle with anxiety. You know this story well. I'll read it again for you. Two sisters and Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Brilliant. Maybe. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Two sisters, same DNA, same house, raised in the same environment, having the same meal with the same people in the home, but they could not be different mentally, right? Martha, is going crazy. Her perfectionism is driving her crazy. And because the dinner is not perfect, she's like, ah, over the deep end, she's become a child. And she's exaggerating it, right? No one's helping me. I'm all alone. This is terrible because she is a perfectionist. I've been abandoned. Was that all true? No. I'll tell you, here's the secret to crust perfectionism because I tend toward that. I like things to be perfect. Here's the secret that has helped me. Here's what I do now. I make issues like Mary, Martha has an issue right here. I make issues local and precise, not global and exaggerated. Perfectionism causes something in us. It makes us make like, it's the end of the world because perfectionism always looks at the one thing that's wrong, not all the stuff that's good. Instead of being precise and local about an issue, it's global and massive and exaggerated. It's the end of the world. Perfectionism actually invents problems. She's not all alone. Things weren't falling apart. No one, it wasn't people stopped caring for her. It's not, wow, 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 poor as me. Uh-uh. Her perfectionism was driving her. She wanted the best meal ever in Bethany. She wanted to get 100 views on Israeli ground. She wanted everyone to talk about it, right? That was the driving. And when that was in danger, she flips her lid. Mary, the sister, had a very attainable goal. I want a great meal with great company. And she got it. And she's happy and settled and enjoying life. Martha wanted this meal to be a museum that people would come for years and worship around it. And she made it global and exaggerated. Distracted. No one cares for me. I'm all alone. Can't you see this? Why is nobody responding to me? Look out. It's so easy to do that, to make an issue just exaggerated and global. I talk to people like, oh, my house is ruined. I'm like, what happened? I got a leak on the roof. Your house is ruined from that? Bro, do what everyone does in Southern Oregon. Get a blue tarp. You're good for like four years, man. Are you kidding? It's not ruined. (laughs) We do that though. That's what it drives us to do is we we flip our lids. We become like kids again. No way. We had a great meal. Jesus is in our house. What's the problem? Nothing. Nothing. Gratitude is the cure-all for perfectionism. You know that? Because perfectionism always focuses on the problem. Instead of appreciating all the stuff that was going good, if Martha would have sat down for a second and thought, actually, I got my health. I got a great meal. I got Jesus here. Are you kidding? What am I complaining about? No one has it better than me. That's what she could have said, but she doesn't. Gratitude, be grateful, crush perfectionism. Really think about issues and say, okay, I can't exaggerate this and blow this up. Be grateful for a while. Look at the issue, make it local and precise. That's what you do. Number three. Shift the story. I love this one. I love Paul. The more I study the Paul, the more I like him. Can't wait to meet him. So here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. I want you to be free from, yeah, maybe circle that. And then he talks about marriage. <laughs> I want you to be free from anxieties. <laughs> the, <yeah. laughs> Don't laugh too hard. Don't laugh. Hold it in. I know it's hard. (laughs) The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Here's what's so brilliant about this Paul is in his mid 40s when he writes this, and Paul is not married. Mid 40s man, unmarried. Today, we'd kind of look at him and be like, hmm, what's up with that dude, right? We'd be a little like, oh, I don't know. What is the deal with that dude? They make movies about that, right? Unmarried men in their 40s. Well, 2,000 years ago, you could multiply that by a million. It would be like, what? The dude's a freak. What does Paul do? He shifts the story. He changes it dramatically, puts it on his head. Hey, you're looking at me. Look at yourself, married man. Did life change for you when you got married? Radically. Did it not? It radically changed for me. I had hobbies before I got married. I look forward to spring Chinook fishing. I live for it. Now I fix appliances and vacuum. Very different from what I was doing before, right? I had money before I got married. Now my kids get braces. That's where it goes. I would cook on anything, a Coleman stove, you name it. Now we have a 48-inch stainless steel gas range because you cook a lot of food when you've got kids around. Things have changed for me dramatically. I never once went to a furniture store for the first 28 years of my life. Now it's like my second location. It's home, church, furniture store. Like what? My garage. I have always had the opinion that a garage was a man's spot. Like it should be... Concrete floor, just fire tape, raw drywall. That's what it should be. It should smell like oil and diesel and grass. The kind you cut with your mower, that kind of grass, (laughs) right? Just clarifying. (laughs) Not my house. My wife a few years ago was like, we need to paint the garage. I'm like, no, please don't. Finally I give it, okay, fine, paint it. What are you gonna paint it, what color? A sunny yellow. I go in there, and I'm like, oh, I kind of cringe a little bit, like, ugh, ugh. There's rugs everywhere in our garage. I'm like, it's a garage. It doesn't need a rug. There's rugs everywhere. And then I've got one spot that's mine. It's where my weight equipment is. Can't you tell? So I've got one spot. And my daughters go to my weight equipment one time, and they put a sticker right on the center of my weight equipment, and the sticker says this, girly girl. I'm like... Now it's completely ruined. I hate this place. (laughs) This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, change the story. Change the story. The grass might look greener on the other side of the fence. And if it is, it's because it's got a much higher watering bill, one you may not wanna pay. Shift the story. My kids would come home from athletics, and the coach said this, and the coach is doing this to me, and doing this, and I'd say, good. I say what? I said because it mat—you matter to that coach. If you didn't matter, if you're the water boy or water girl, the coach isn't saying anything to you. The reason the coach is saying this to you is because he sees potential, or she sees potential in you, and wants to get the most of you. You shift the story. The teacher, the teacher was mean to me. Said this. Well, is it because the teacher hates you? No. It's because the teacher likes you and knows there's more to you and is pushing you and wanting you to become all that you're supposed to be coming, right? That's what Paul does against the entire culture. He's like, hey, I got it better than anyone because I'm not married. Where everyone else would be like, what? You're crazy. He shifts the story. The story that we tell ourselves is so important. There's just old, old, maybe it's apocryphal. I don't know. I really like it because it explains this. About a thousand years ago, three Masons were working on a project. And a man went up to the first Mason and said, what are you doing? And the first Mason said, 12 hours a day, I'm laying brick. Goes to the second Mason says, what are you doing? I'm building the wall. Goes to the third Mason, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral for God's people. The first guy had a job. The second guy had a career. The third guy had a calling. Which one of those stories do you think leads to a flourishing, brilliant, vibrant life, right? What's the story we tell ourselves? Going to the job, the old grind, the ball in the chain, okay. Or is it, hey, I gotta work hard to provide for my family. I got health and strength to do this. That my home is not not a pit stop, but my home is a center of discipleship. I'm building a cathedral right? What's the story that we tell ourselves? It should be very antithetical to the world system. We should have a much better story. That's what Paul does right here I'm building a cathedral. Even hard things, difficult, you should say, this is good for me. This is bread for me. This forges me. This creates in me the metal that God wants for eternity. And so I'm going to be patient with God and faithful in it because he's building the cathedral and I'm going to be a part of Shift the story, that's what Paul does. And he's free from anxiety, free from the judgment of the world on him because he had his own story, a better story. Number four, guard the gate. Philippians four, six through eight. Unbelievably brilliant section of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? And just in case you missed it, and again I say, rejoice. Let your crazy views be made known to everyone. (laughs) Let your reasonableness. We might need to circle that and put it right on top of our social media. Let our reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But here's the opposite way. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the, is peace the opposite of anxiety? 100%. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in verse eight, brilliant. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You guard the gate. You guard the gate of your mind. And here's why. One anxious hour is more exhausting than a week of work. So you got to guard the gate or else this happens to you. We've got a doughboy pool at my house, 16 by 32, deep end, 25,000 gallons, something right in there. Bought it from a neighbor in 2002 for 100 bucks, set it up, put a deck on it, put a gate on it because five kids, you don't want kids getting into the pool. So has a gate on it. And if you have a doughboy pool, you know this. Every five years, you gotta put a new liner in it. If you have children, every couple of years you put a new liner in it, right? So, a couple of years ago, I put a brand new liner in it. It was summertime. We had gone to a, like a wedding, and we were coming back on this August, 100 degree August day, and we're driving up my driveway, and there is a river going down my driveway. And I knew the only way that much water is coming from my house is my pool. Something happened to my pool, right? So, park the car, get out, run down there. And the liner on my pool looked like someone had taken an outboard motor with a propeller and just gone all the way around it, just shredded it, brand new liner. I'm like, what happened? So the water is only like a couple inches deep at this point. I'm looking down, and I just see deer hair everywhere. Yeah. And then along like the metal coping, there's deer parts still stuck kind of in in the edges of it. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. We left the gate open. Deer got up here, thought it could walk on water, could not, not a Jesus deer, right? A devil deer, that's what I'll call him, deer devil. So trying to get out, right? When the water's like four feet deep, it can't get to the bottom to jump. So it's just shredded, just went around in circles, shredding my liner. Well, enough water got out that it finally got its feet on the ground and jumped out. I was like, man, 10 minutes earlier, venison. Oh, get something back for my investment. The gate was left open and a deer got in there and destroyed, destroyed my pool. We gotta be careful about leaving the gate open. There's devil deers out there. They want in. A lot of times though, it's not from the outside that's the problem. The problem is the inside. Let me try to illustrate it like this. Illustrate this like this. So let's say you're checking out, you're wherever, Fred Meyer or Walmart or Winco or Beimart, and you're in line, check her. You, of course, pick the slowest line, because somehow we managed to do that, like always the slowest line. How is that possible? But it is. So you get in the slow line, you're there, really nice, check her, she's in her late 60s, early 70s, super kind, saying nice things to every single person, doing her job as good as she could. Now, a new person gets up there and you're on your phone, kind of barely paying attention, when all of a sudden you just hear this commotion, and The guy checking out is yelling at this older checker. What is wrong with you? You are the slowest, stupidest checker I have ever been in. Are you kidding me? You're inventing new ways to be stupid and make mistakes. I am filing a complaint against you. He's just going off, yelling at her. What would you do? I'm concealed carry, Matt. Oh, I'd do something. Right, most of us minimally be like, "Hey, bro, calm down, man. Time out. It's not that big of a deal, right?" Wouldn't most of us do that? We would. I hope. How often, though, do we talk to ourselves like that person talked to the checker? Man, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a moron. I invent new ways to be an idiot. How often are we that way? How often do we talk to ourselves just like we're the deer inside of ourselves? thrashing ourselves. We're not supposed to do that. The Bible says here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray. Give thanks. Think verse 8. Ask yourself right now as I'm thinking, are the thoughts that I have are they true? Are they honorable? Are they just, are they pure, are they lovely, are they commendable, are they excellent, are they worthy of praise? That's the gate that you guard your thinking with. Paul says, think like this. And I, a couple years ago, came up with an acronym to help everybody remember those things, those eight qualities, it's right here. so good, right? Try to pronounce it. It helps me. That's how I remember it, right? The justice help. It's that simple. (laughs) This is what you're supposed to do. If you want the shalom of God, instead of the anxiety of this world, then we stop and we pray casting all of our cares upon him, making our requests known to him and thinking for just self. That's what we do. I'm not talking to myself that way. That's not how God sees me. I'm a child of King Jesus. That's what's been forgiven and forgotten and washed away. I'm not talking to myself that way anymore. That's what you do. You guard the gate. Number five, you treasure the team. Hebrews chapter 13 Let brotherly love continue. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. What's this called right here? The body. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, who actually confidently says this? Do you ever confidently say this? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Treasure the team. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if he is the way and the truth and the life, and no man gets to the Father but by Him. God in the flesh, come, substituting Himself for us. If you've repented of the way that you used to see Him as something else, and now you've said, no way, He is God in the flesh, my Savior, personally. Then listen, you are on team Jesus. And the Bible says this about you, He's your helper. And you don't have to fear because he will never leave you nor forsake you. So for three weeks, I've talked with a bunch of you. And you're in difficult circumstances. Some it's health, went to a man's house on Friday, Myron and I, last days. There's some impossible situations. Talked to some of you about your marriages and. impossible situations. Kids that are in addiction, impossible situations. Relationships that are tattered and frayed and holidays always amplify that, impossible situations. And I can't promise you that if you do everything right, your spouse will respond to you. I can't promise you that. I wish I had a magic wand for addiction. Man, there'd be nothing more that I'd want than that. Or just, wow, you're done. You're free. I don't have that can't promise that relationship that they'll respond to the way that you want them to respond and work on reconciling. I can't promise that. But I can promise you this. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, period. And one of the lies of the enemy is to say this to you and me. God's grown tired of you. You've sinned too much. You've gone too far. You did that sin, you're a terrible Christian. There are lies from the enemy. There are lies from ourselves. I can promise you this. He will never leave you or forsake you. That when there's a fiery furnace, when circumstances are fiery and red hot, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's when God shows up. It's when Elijah is in a cave with depression and suicidal thoughts that's when God shows up because he never leaves us or forgets us, treasure the team. Secondly, we're the body right here. And what I've said to all of you that I've met with is this, let us help, how can we help you? We'll walk with you, I, doesn't, I can't promise you answers, but I can promise you I won't forsake you. I promise you I won't leave you, I promise you, you won't run me off. I promise you. I've heard everything possible. Confess to me now. You won't make me be like, "Whoa, I've never heard of that before." Treasure the team that God's put you on. Know that He will never leave you or forsake you. Use the body. Come up and get prayer after this. We we offer prayer, yes, because we believe in prayer. But we also offer prayer because we write it down. We're like, "Hey, this is an opportunity to walk with somebody." We get Titus two gals that are phenomenal. They're unbelievable. Some of the most brilliant women. I go to counseling, I just say, why am I here? I'm just a, I'm an appendix right now. Just cut me out and toss me on the side because they're so good at what they do. Ah, trust the team. You're not alone. We can say he will never leave us or forsake us. We should confidently say that more and more often. What do I have to fear, right? Sixthly, Acts chapter 21, freely face it. This is Paul facing an enemy. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem And Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul and Jerusalem had a storied past. Paul would have PTSD from that place. So they're like, bro, don't go, don't go. And what does Paul say? I want to, I'm volunteering to go down there and face the thing that should make me afraid. Every study has shown this. When someone will voluntarily, willingly face the thing that they fear, they have way more power to overcome it than if they're forced into it. There's some kind of power in just saying, okay, I'm gonna face it freely. So I'm not an anxious guy. Anxiety has never been my issue. When I think back about my life, there was one thing that caused uncontrollable anxiety in me, one thing and that's it, public speaking. I know God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? So ninth grade freshman class, speech, you had to prepare a speech and to give it. Oh my goodness, I have never prayed like that in my life. I prayed like Elijah. I prayed for hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and fires, I didn't care what it was, just no. When that didn't work, I hid behind this lineman. Just thought, I am small, no one will see me. I can somehow escape. Brutal. If you would have told me that I would come up here three times a day on Sunday and preach in front of you, I would have rebuked you. Get thee behind me, Satan, no way. And And in high school, I go to the school of ministry. You can ask the 23 other students there. We'd be in this class, just 23 students. They're my friends, buddies. But whenever I would try to answer a question, and I knew a lot of the answers, every time I tried to answer the questions, my heart would start pounding out of my chest. It would pound so hard that I couldn't pronounce the words right. Like it would affect the way that I would talk. So I'd be like, well, I think they're They'd be like, are you speaking in tongues? No. It's anxiety, right? And then later they'd be like, bro, we love when you talk. You, don't worry. I said, I can't control it. I don't understand it. It just happens to me. I'm not trying to make it happen. Just all of a sudden, my heart pounds out of my chest and I can't talk. So guess what I did? I started volunteering for every public speaking thing I could. I thought, if God has this call on my life to preach and I think he does, then I gotta get over this thing. I volunteered. Didn't matter. At work, met one instruments. There's an engineer. There was this big training down in Las Vegas in front of 250 people. I did not wanna do it, but guess what I did? I'll volunteer. I'll do that. I just kept doing it, just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. Guess what happened? Pretty soon, pretty soon it was gone. So people that now come that knew me in the school ministry, they're like, what in the world, bro? What happened to you? I always tell them these two things. I say, number one, Edgewater is so good. They let me tell the truth. So I'm not worried about things anymore. But I said, number two, I have made every mistake in the book in 18 years. You name it, I've made them all. And my wife still loves me. And Jesus has not forsaken me. And those that have stayed at Edgewater still tolerate me. So what do I have to be afraid of? You freely face it. The thing that you're really anxious about, man, if you want to get over it, okay. Lord, I trust you. I trust I can overcome this with your strength. I'm going to face it. And it's so interesting to me in the Old Testament, there are these fiery serpents that were biting people and killing them. Right? That's going to make you a little anxious. And Moses is told to make a brass serpent and put it on a stick. And if people want to be healed, they need to go and look at the very thing that scared them and hurt them. And to freely face it. If there's something that's bringing you a lot of anxiety, maybe like me, you just got to say, all right, from now on, I'm gonna face this thing. I'm gonna face it every opportunity I can, trusting that God's spirit Will give me the words in the moment to say what I need to say. That's what I'm gonna trust God, right? And then lastly, 2 Timothy 1.7, remember the gift. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave Us, who's the us? Right here. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.13 guarantees promises that you have been given the power of God's spirit. And God's spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. Not anxiety, love and power and self-control. It's like this. If you've ever read the book or watched the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where he's whipped up in a tornado, takes it off, lands on the Wicked Witch, right? She's got her shoes out there. The shoes come off her, go on her. And then she goes through all kinds of misery. Lying monkey, steal her dog. That would make you anxious, right? That's a bummer. Gets to the end, the wizard's a fraud, and then the fairy godmother comes, and what does the fairy godmother say? Oh, all you need to do is tap your heels together because you got the special shoes, and say, I want to go home. What a terrible woman that fairy godmother is. Why didn't you tell her that in the beginning? Oh, it's like that. I think we go through life, and we're like, oh, this bad stuff is happening. And all the while, we've been given the power of God's spirit, the power of love, and sound mind and the power of self control. We have it. Use it. Remember the gift. Remember who you are. Remember what you have been. Remember what God has done to you. That's what you do. Stop listening to the enemy and his lies. Now, I don't have a spirit of fear, I have God's spirit of love and power and soundness of mind. And I'm going to trust whatever the situation is. God, will give me the power of it. And now we get to go to the table. And we, got to remember, we get to remember the one that gave us that gift. The one that says to you and me, I will never leave you or forsake you. The one that says right now to every one of us, you are robed and clothed in my righteousness. He doesn't see our sin and our problems and our evil and our wickedness. He sees us as perfected. And let that sink in. Let that wave come over you and wash you free of anxiety.